Coming up today, we're going to learn about a great organization, Heroes Helping Heroes Minnesota. We're going to hear about it because A, it's a great organization, and B, they've got a big fundraiser in which you could win a three-day fishing trip, a three-day fishing trip with Toby Cavallibog of Leisure Outdoor Adventures. Plus, Charlie Peterson of Northland Fishing Tackle joins us, and we put the spotlight on another gem of Paul Bunyan country, Lake Malax. It's all coming up. Welcome to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We are talking with Chris Stewart. He is the president and founder of Heroes Helping Heroes Minnesota. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, sir. So the reason we are talking about Heroes Helping Heroes on uh, Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, besides the fact that it's a great organization, is that uh, they are giving away a three-day trip, a guided fishing trip for two with Toby Cavallibog, who of course is part of the League of uh, Extraordinary Anglers here on uh, Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Um, Chris, give us the details on the prize, and uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So you have an opportunity to go to our website, heroeshelpingheroesmn.com, and register to for a raffle uh, to win a three-day uh, all-inclusive uh, fishing trip with Toby and Leisure Outdoors Uh in Walker, Minnesota. The trip includes, uh, like I said, the three-day fishing, uh, guided fishing trip with Toby and Leisure Outdoors, along with a three-day uh, night at Northern Lights Casino. All compliments of uh, Heroes Up and Heroes. Wow. It's uh, it's valued at over $2,000. And the great thing about fishing with Toby and on Leech Lake, Chris, is that you got lots of options. You could go bass fishing one day. You could go walleye fishing one day. You could go musky fishing one day. Yes, absolutely. He gave us the opportunity to either fish at uh, Leech Lake or Cass. Nice. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a phenomenal trip for whoever wins it, and uh, I describe it as a uh, a trip of a lifetime. It's going to be it's going to be phenomenal. So, um, so we get registered uh, at your website. Are the dates set, or is that something that's flexible? So the so the dates are set. Uh, Toby was uh, extremely generous to uh, help our foundation and give us uh, this guided fishing trip. Uh, He's, he was booked for the majority of the summer. So the dates that he gave us were uh, July 27th, 28th, and 29th of uh, 2021 here. Okay. Um, let's get into uh, Heroes Helping Heroes. Chris, what is it and what uh, compelled you to get this thing started? So Heroes Helping Heroes is an organization designed to provide non-medical support group or support to law enforcement, first responders, and EMS personnel collectively first responders cope with mental health issues stemming from their employment especially post-traumatic stress disorder uh, PTSD by offering them the opportunity to participate in programs with fellow first responders suffering from PTSD or other work-related issues and and have you seen that firsthand is that why you were interested in doing this Correct. So I was a uh, police uh, police officer with the city of Minneapolis for a little over 14 years. 
I uh, spent the vast majority of my career up in North Minneapolis 4th Precinct, um, spent some time on our SWAT team, and then at the end of my career, I got promoted as a street supervisor. Um, I've dealt with uh, several riots throughout my career, and uh, the tipping point for me was the riots last June. Uh, I, I reached a boiling point where uh, I could no longer do this job safely uh, and professionally, and uh, afterwards I was diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Well, I, I, I really am impressed that not only were you diagnosed with it, but after working through it or continuing to work through it, you've decided to help others as well. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there's a, a large need to talk about mental health, not only in society, but especially in, in first responders and specifically law enforcement. It's kind of shunned upon to talk about the mental health in society, and we're trying to break th- those norms and uh, get people help. Um, last year, uh, over 250 you know, police officers uh, committed suicide. Uh, there was an officer out in Arizona that just took his life, I believe, last night. Um, so it's, it's a huge mental health issue, um, not only in, in law, and law enforcement, uh, but also fire and EMS. And uh, if our organization can, uh, can save one life, then, then it's well worth it. I believe that our organization is going to make a huge difference and, and help so many people out there um, suffering from... Uh, mental health, specifically PTSD. The reality is most of us have never had to deal with this. Uh, we have been blessed to live in a country where there are a lot of brave soldiers, a lot of bla- brave police officers. Um, we haven't been in the midst of it ourselves, but I think most of us could understand uh, how PTSD can, can manifest with, with a soldier or with a police officer. Uh, some of the other things you mentioned, fire and EMS, uh, Probably we haven't thought about that as much. Uh, what what causes the uh, PTSD with with those occupations? So with fire and EMS, it's, it's a lot of the same uh, medical situations and stuff like that. So for firefighters, it's going in the burning building, seeing dead bodies, dead children, dead dead, dead, dead adults, and stuff like that. Um, also, I know in Minneapolis, you know, our fire personnel respond to all all shootings and homicides and stuff like that to provide medical aid. Uh, to to the victims, so they see a lot of the a lot of the the gruesome stuff that we see, and the same thing with paramedics. They're the first one that are called to uh, um, medical situations and, and provide medical treatment to uh, th- these victims, and they they see a lot of uh, gruesome and, and stuff, and unfortunately a lot of uh, a lot of dead bodies. Mm. Okay, yeah, uh, it's it's interesting, Chris, that you know there's been there's been a lot of work done. A lot of people trying hard to destigmatize uh, mental illness, and that's just in the general population. And and yet, it seems those that are in the business where they would see the worst of the worst and and probably have to deal with it more frequently are the ones maybe least resistant to to trying to get some help. No, you're you're one hundred percent true. Uh, that stigma is true in society, and I think it's one hundred percent true. Um, at, and first responders, um, as a first responder, you're supposed to be the bravest of the brave. Uh, you're supposed to go to these situations and pull down a bold face and not let these, let these events affect you. But after a period of time of seeing the worst of society and, and so many different things out there that, uh, it, it, it can't help but affect you. Um, and I think anybody who spends any period of time in either one of these professions, police, fire or EMS, um, 
walks away from this profession uh, with definitely some mental health issues. Uh, and that's our goal of our foundation is to kind of uh, help people cope with this and, and more than just one way of, of therapy and stuff like that. Our foundation offers first responders the opportunity to go out hunting and fishing, camping, snowmilling, four-wheeling, golfing, anything that uh, first responders enjoy doing, uh, we, we encourage to our foundation and our goal is to raise enough money so we can pay for all the, all the costs associated with any of these, uh, these events for first responders. So all they have to do is come and enjoy themselves and, and, and kind of escape uh, reality and the profession for a few hours and kind of uh, get back to a centered piece of uh, peace of mind and so they're ready to go back and, and serve the communities in which they, they live and work. You know, um, that normalcy is something that is, I imagine, very difficult to achieve when you're in those professions. So, yeah, that day on the water or that day on the golf course or that day in the woods um, could really, really make a big difference. No, absolutely. And a lot of us, uh, we, we, we enjoyed and loved doing these activities before we went in our profession. And uh, depending on what profession we're in, it kind of uh, isolated us from society and from other people working odd hours and, and dealing with the stuff that we see. Um, so this is just another way to encourage people to get back to the things that they love to do and try to live a, a normal life. So this is a really, really great cause, and the prize is a really, really great prize. There's no reason why anybody wouldn't want to buy a raffle ticket at this point for this, this event, but I know there's a deadline. So when do we have to have these purchased? You have to have them purchased by noon on Saturday. We're going to hold the drawing Saturday afternoon, and the winner will be notified Saturday by email. Okay, so by noon Saturday, you have to purchase your raffle ticket or tickets for Heroes Helping Heroes Dream Trip, a three-day guided uh, fishing vacation for two from Leisure Outdoor Adventures with Toby Cavallibog. That will run July 27th through the 29th. Hotel accommodations at the Palace as well. So it's a great, great uh, prize. How much are the tickets? Tickets are $50 a piece. Uh, 100% of the proceeds go directly back into Heroes Helping Heroes so we can continue to... Uh, pay for events for first responders to participate in. All right. And, Chris, again, the spot to go if we want to buy those tickets and help your cause. HeroesHelpingHeroesMN.com. HeroesHelpingHeroesMN.com. I'm sure there's a big uh, banner, easy to spot, and easy to click on. Very true. It's right on the front page, and then you just click into uh, either the Donate Now or the, the shop, and they'll bring you right to uh, the different options that we have to uh, purchase the raffle ticket. Chris Stewart is the president and founder of Heroes Helping Heroes Minnesota. Chris, first of all, thank you for the, the years of service you, you brought the, the community and the state, and thank you for the great service you're doing now. It's, it's appreciated, and I salute you. Thank you, sir, for all your help, and I appreciate your support. Again, you have until Saturday noon to buy your tickets and get in on that drawing. We'll have links for you on the Paul Bunyan Country Facebook page and on the KBUN Sports Radio website. And speaking of Toby Cavallibug, we will check in with him and Bro Brosdahl Friday as we get ready for the opener. Up next, though, we're going to hear from Charlie Peterson of Northland Fishing Tackle and a former member of the BSU fishing team as he gives us some tips on the upcoming fishing opener. That's next on Fishing Paul Bunyan Country. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We're checking in with Charlie Peterson. He's the digital and media coordinator with Northland Fishing Tackle. And, of course, Charlie, you also just wrapped up your career at BSU, and you and your cousin were part of that BSU fishing team, right? 
Yep. Uh, thanks for having me, Kev. Uh, yep, I uh, wrapped up uh, BSU, and we had a fun time fishing on the BSU bass fishing team. We we got to uh, travel a few times, fish a few events out of state, and then we also had uh, you know, fall events within the team where we got to fish eight to ten tournaments against the other other classmates, which was which was a lot of fun to do. You you are a Peterson, which means you are a bass angler, right? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but in the meantime, we gotta wait. Uh, we gotta wait a few weeks for that. I mean, I guess we can catch and release right uh, when when the walleye opener starts too. But I'm assuming you're probably gonna go out and do a little walleye fishing this weekend. Yep, I think uh, we're gonna be trying to do a little bit of both. Uh, nor- normally, we'd you know wake up on Saturday at six six or seven o'clock and get out fishing at. 8:30, but you know, uh, over the years, getting a little out of control. I think uh, might be fishing out at midnight this year, Ooh. doing a little walleye fishing, and then as the sun comes up, might target some bass. <clears throat> well, that's uh, that's very um, very aggressive of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try to try to do it all. You know, you got a short season. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, the the water's been open for a while, but we did have plenty of cold weather even after that happened, so I don't think we're going to see anything too drastically different as far as walleyes go for the opener. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, we had one of the earliest ice outs that I can remember, and uh, the the water temperature doesn't seem like it's warmed up a crazy amount. It's kind of going to be normal, normal fishing, I think. Fishing's probably going to be pretty good, but... Uh, I think the been out crappie fishing a little bit, and probably the warmest water up shallow I've seen is probably like fifty seven, fifty nine. But main lake is still pretty pretty cold. So whether you know which whichever lake you're going to be on, what would you expect? Be in those shallows as you typically would with the opener, and bring jigs and minnows. Yeah, I'm thinking they're going to be still pretty shallow coming coming from their spawning areas. Probably going to be. You know, around spawn to post spawn. Uh, I'm hoping to get on a trolling bite at midnight there, so I'm gonna be having a new Rumble Shiner size seven rigged up. Um, troll that around like four to six for the water at about two miles per hour, probably. And then you know, have a fireball rigged up, the Shiner minnow. Can't go wrong with the fireball, so I'll definitely have. Fireball rigged up, and then I also really like uh, whistler jig is kind of what I keep in my back pocket. Boy, the fireball, you know, um, there's been new stuff, great stuff. I mean, some great new tackle being developed every year, but that fireball is just so reliable and just seems to work, and uh, it's still uh, everybody's favorite after I don't know how many years <laughs> it's been out there. It's like the first thing Northland ever came up with. Yeah, I don't know how many different uh, fishing openers I've uh, fished, and the only thing I've fished with is a fireball, so it's definitely my favorite. You mentioned the, the what was it, the Rumble? Rumble Shiner, so that's a, it's a new uh, crankbait we got, and it's a shallow, shallow diver. So, so yeah, what, what, what makes that special? So the, the Rumble Shiner is made out of, premium balsa wood so it's got you know a unique action and uh 
made with a through wire, through wire from the line tie all the way to all the way to the back. So all the hooks and the line tie are all together. So it's not gonna you're not gonna lose a big fish when you get hooked up on a big fish. Um, and we got we got a bunch of sweet new colors coming, uh, and all those rumble shiners. So it's gonna be exciting to get those put those to work this year. So the Rumble Shiner, that's uh, that's one of the new things uh, as part of the uh, the acquisition of Bagley Baits. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that balsa wood. That's uh, I I just hear great things about that from bass anglers, and and now now we're we're moving into the walleye world too. Yep, I think uh, people are really gonna like that balsa balsa action on the walleye side, just like just like the bass side. Well, the 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 problem with those baits is they're so darn gorgeous i i hate to throw them in the water yeah i know you gotta <laughs> sometimes you just gotta you gotta expect to lose some of your favorite baits you break them in catch a bunch of fish on it and you're you got this special bait that you uh you don't want to lose and next thing you know it's gone so it's, it's tough but <laughs> it is what it is yeah well, again, it's the walleye opener this weekend. It's a huge, huge event in the state of Minnesota, no doubt. Uh, but, you know, one of the things uh, that, that we're seeing, and certainly I think uh, the, the, uh, the, the move towards competitive fishing on the college and high school level are certainly happiness. The, the, the bass fishing is getting more and more popular. And I know, you know, like I say, the Peterson family has been preaching bass to me on this show for a long, long time. Uh, but I, I just hear more and more people fishing bass all the time. Yeah, I think you know, once people people get a get a taste of it, you know they they want to do more of it. So a lot of a lot of people are might be stuck doing one thing, and they they get a little taste of that way those bass bass strike your bait and fight, and they want they just want more of it. So it's catching on, and definitely around Minnesota, it's becoming more of uh, more and more popular. I think one of the beautiful things about living here and the lakes we have, and this includes the whole Paul Bunyan country area from Lake of the Woods all the way through Brainerd Lakes, Mille Lacs, down all that way, you've just got this ability to get out there, especially on a nice weekend like we're going to have for the opener, do some walleye fishing, get some fish that you can do for a fish fry, uh, maybe even crappies, perch, you know, whatever. And then uh, as the afternoon wears on, if, you, if you've got those fish, you just go fish bass and have a blast. Yeah, yeah, Kev. That's kind of that's kind of the plan that I have. You know, it's hopefully we can uh, get our limit there before sun comes up, and then I can me and uh, Jace and my dad can go chase bass the rest of the day. But you know, that's easier said than done. <laughs> hey, so uh, I, you know, I don't want you to give away any secrets, but you're willing to to share where we might uh, get some good uh, walleye and bass fishing this weekend? Well. There's going to be some, I'm going to be sticking around the Bemidji area close to home. We got a lot of good options and, you know, Lake Bemidji, the cast chain and, uh, Plantagenet. net. So that's, that's where I, I'd, uh, that's where I'm going to be. You know, I, the thing is that people, you know, they want to be tight lipped and it's like, okay, it's walleyes in the Bemidji area. I mean, there's no secret lakes for walleyes. 
They're seeking legs for other fish, not for walleyes. So it's, I always laugh at that. I, I get when we get a tournament and you're looking for big ones that you're going to be pretty quiet. But uh, just in general, we know the lakes, and we basically know where they're going to be. And that's where all the boats are going to be this weekend. There's, there's no secret. Yeah, it's going to be a busy weekend. It's, uh, it's like our Super Bowl. Yeah. It, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially with again the nice uh, the nice weather. That being said, though, Charlie, uh, the water's still plenty cold, and you know we're we're the PFD. Oh yeah, everyone needs to be safe out there and wear their life jacket and watch out for other boaters. There's going to be boaters around everywhere, and just look around, look out for one another. All right, uh, very good, uh, Charlie. Anything else before we wrap it up? I think that covers a lot of it. I'm just really excited to get out fishing. It's it's just been a long time coming with uh, our early ice out, so I'm getting real anxious right now. All right. Charlie Peterson is the Digital and Media Coordinator for Northland Fishing Tackle. Charlie, thanks for your time. Thanks, Kev. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We continue to get ready for the opener, and we continue to put the spotlight on some of the best waters in Paul Bunyan country as we get ready for the opener. Lake Mille Lacs is certainly one of those. Tom Heinrichs from the Mille Lacs Area Fisheries Office joins us. Tom, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. For those who maybe aren't quite as familiar with Lake Mille Lacs, we want to just take a real close look at the lake uh, that has been in the news so often and, and talk a little bit about it. And we'll get into the some of the details uh, that we're, we're still following on Mille Lacs and some of the changes that, that occur on an annual basis. But first, Tom, let's just take a look at the lake as a whole. Um, it is, by and large, one of the gems in Minnesota. Oh, absolutely. You know, particularly for walleye fishing, you know, but, um, but even other species have uh, really gained a lot of notoriety. You know, um, smallmouth bass, for instance, are an extremely popular part of our fishery, and then also muskies. Well, certainly smallmouth bass has uh, really gotten a foothold as it was, uh, was it uh, Bassmasters that declared it one of the top smallmouth fisheries in the nation? Yep, yep, they sure did that. You know, we had a couple of really big bass tournaments here, and uh, it sounds like the guys went away pretty impressed. And um, I believe there was that one year where they declared it the number one uh, bass fishing lake in the nation, yep. Okay. So it, it, it's a gem. It's loaded with fish. Um, what is it about that lake that makes it so productive and so good? <laughs> well, the um, I mean, it's 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 a it's an interesting lake. You know, the um, the the lake is only a couple hours from the cities, and so it's an extremely popular destination. Now, what it makes it so productive? That's um, that's basically an ideal walleye lake. You know, it's uh, it's a big round bowl with an awful lot of spawning habitat available to it. But well, with regards to the productivity, you know, we've undergone some changes here on this lake um, probably in the last, oh, since about 1995. Um, we've lost some of our productivity, and so there aren't as many walleye swimming around out there as, um, as there were, excuse me, in the uh, maybe the 70s, 80s, and early part of the 90s. Um, but still, we've got a pretty pretty decent walleye population out there. Now, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned that there's there's been a loss of some of the productivity um, and in addition to that, um, that is that has caused you to have to put some some restrictions on the fishing, that has been quite controversial to be honest. But let's let's start with the lack of pr- productivity. What has happened? What has changed? Well, I think there's a couple of things that have happened. Um, one is that uh, the water just cleared up, in, um, and it happened very dramatically. You know, in a pretty dramatic fashion over a very short period of time, starting in like 1995. All of a sudden 
you know, the, the way we measure water, it's called a secchi depth. And uh, basically our secchi depths just about doubled on the lake pretty much in one summer. And I think probably what happened is that through the Clean Water Act, through cleaning up septic systems, you know, that were non-compliant um, through time, you know, as these places get sold, all of a sudden the septic systems have to be brought into compliance, and that just let fewer nutrients go into the lake. And so um, the lake just wasn't as productive anymore as it had been prior to that time. Uh, the next thing that happened was in the, um, oh, I think it was in about 2005, we found zebra mussels in the lake. And zebra mussels, um, the way they function is that they filter water, uh, they filter the water out of the lake and they feed on the, um, the algae that's in the lake. And the algae is really the base of the food chain for our walleye population. You know, they, um, they, they rely on that, on that food chain that's kind of suspended in the water column. And uh, what zebra mussels do is they take all that stuff out of the water column and they basically deposit it on the bottom. And uh, what that does is it actually improves the food chain for smallmouth bass because um, as they as they defecate on the bottom as they decay on the bottom that opens up um, um, a food chain that's kind of feeds the insects and the crayfish which is stuff that smallmouth bass really tend to rely on and so anyways the, the lake has gotten you know less productive overall because fewer nutrients are going into it and then um, that part of the food chain that feeds our walleye population has become has, has become diminished and really been that energy flow has been shunted over towards stuff that smallmouth bass really rely on. And so that's kind of the, you know, one of the issues that we're facing here. Well, zebra mussels are certainly something we've talked about many times on our show. Uh, it's not, you know, it's affecting more and more lakes all the time. We've found up here, you know, Cass Lake is clearer than ever. And at this point, it's not so much a change in the number of walleyes in the lake, but where they are. And I'm sure that's, that was a factor, too. Sure. You know, while I really like, um, say, murkier water conditions, and so well, it's probably driven them deeper, you know, particularly during the day. Um, and so they're, you know, anglers have had to adapt um, to fishing deeper, um, I'm assuming, you know, on, on Malax, just like in a lot of other water bodies. So we're dealing with that, you're adjusting to that, and uh, and it has also caused what we talked about the controversy the changes in walleye limits over the years and the way you've had to be real tight on the way things go to make sure you maintain what you need to maintain so it's that's a complicated issue um do do your best to tell us how, how it works and what it all means there's a couple of things going on you know and first of all you know Malax being so close to the cities can get a tremendous amount of pressure and um you know and it's the type of pressure that can show up pretty much overnight if there's a hot bite people will come up after work from the cities and fish here now in the late 1990s the um the bands that um signed the 1837 treaty ceding a you know big chunk of their lands to the United States they um they had their hunting and fishing and gathering rights reaffirmed and so not only do we have um you know a somewhat smaller walleye population that we had through you know that era I described earlier 80s and early 90s but now we also have to share that um, that piece of the walleye pie with um, with the bands. Because of that, we just have to be very very conservative with the number of walleye that are that is taken by the uh, sport fishery. You know that isn't um, um, part of the band fishery. So the way this works is that uh, we get together with the bands in January every year, and we come up with uh, what we feel is um, a level of harvest that's sustainable across both fisheries, and then that. Um, Harvest gets divided between the bands and the um, the, the non-band fishery, the state fishery, and each fishery has to manage 
the harvest that takes place through those fisheries within their own allocations. And so because of that and because of the tremendous amount of interest there is in fishing um, Mille Lacs for walleye, we've had to be very, very restrictive so that we don't go over our allocation uh, for the state fishery. And that's what's really driving some of these um, very restrictive regulations is just um, you know the, the need to not exceed our allocation. You base each year's... Um um, allocation uh, based on what you see in your surveys? Yep. So just like all the other large lakes, you know, you've mentioned that, uh, you know, things like Red Lake, Cass Lake, mm-hmm. Lake of the Woods, every one of these lakes has um, a fall netting um, period that we base a lot of our um, information, that, that we gather a lot of information about what's going on with our walleye populations. And that's one of the primary inputs into um, a model that we operate here on the lake and that describes how many walleye are actually out there. Um, and then what we do is we take a look at a variety of harvest options. You know, we've got a second model then that we apply to that uh, fish population. And uh, we can model a variety of options within that model and see how many pounds of fish come out and what it does ultimately to the, um, the fish population on the lake. And based on that then is where we set our, um, our safe harvest level. And then once that sort of harvest level has been established, then we divide that between the state fishery and the band fishery. What does that mean for anglers this year? Well, for anglers this year, it's uh, probably maybe some of the better news that we've had in years. Um, and a part of it's just because um, we had relatively light harvest this past winter, and that was combined with um, what it looks like is uh, that we've got a, a pretty robust amount of um, small yellow perch in the system right now. And what happens whenever we get a large number of small yellow perch in the system, are, are, um, the bite kind of slows down. And so what we've been able to do because of that is we've been able to offer the opportunity to actually harvest fish in the spring as well as the fall this year. In the past several years, we haven't had much of a harvest opportunity at all. Mm-hmm. During the summer, it's primarily been catch and release fishing. And so this year, we're going to be able to offer um, uh, an opportunity to harvest a walleye from 21 to 23 inches in the spring, and so in, in, during the May period. And then uh, we're going to be able to offer that again in the fall after September 16th. Is it catch and release between times? Yep. The majority of the summer, then, is going to be catch and release, except for the uh, first half of July. So the okay. walleye fishery is actually going to be shut down July 1st through July 15th. And uh, the reason that we do that is because that tends to be the time of the year where the water is warmest. And we do have to account for walleye that die after being released. We've established um, how many fish or what proportion of the fish die after being released based on a couple of studies that we've done here on Mille Lacs. And what we found is that the warmer the water temperature is, the more likely it is that a fish isn't going to survive their catch and release experience. And so by shutting down the fishery during that first half of July when our water is usually at at its warmest period, that uh, we can save a lot of fish and then offer an opportunity for harvesting fish in the fall. How about winter fishing? What what are the restrictions for hard water season? Uh, During the winter, I don't believe we've ever shut down the harvest opportunity during the winter, but for the past several years, it's been a 21 to 23-inch harvest slot, or you could also harvest one over 28 inches long if you should happen to catch a big one like that. And um, so, I mean, for for example, this past winter, I think we harvested right around 15,000 pounds, whereas um, the previous winter, we harvested uh, right around 30,000 pounds. And so winter can have a pretty significant um, harvest associated with it. But uh, this past winter, just because of the late ice that we had here and uh, combined with a you know pretty good amount of yellow perch 
that were forage size. You know, we, did, we just didn't harvest as many fish this winter as we were expecting. Tom, do you do you feel like this is this is the future? Is this the way it's going to be going forward? Are there are you working on things to maybe make it to more get more walleyes back in the water, or is there anything we can really do at this point? I'm not sure if we can actually get more walleye in the water. You know, the um, the walleye population is pretty. I would guess, you know, probably something close to carrying capacity right now. Uh, but what we have to worry about is if we do get a hot bite and we do open it up for harvest, that uh, we could be harvesting a lot of fish over a very short period of time. And that would have the um, the potential to exceed our allocation. And if we exceed our allocation or if we come close to exceeding our allocation, what we have to do at that point is then shut the fishery down. And that's just to meet our treaty obligations. Okay. And... Um, uh, we've been writing a management plan, and it's in the draft stage right now, but um, the primary goal that we have in the management plan with regard to the fishery is that we continue to offer a fishing opportunity, even though anglers may not be able to harvest those fish that they catch. So basically um, a catch-and-release fishery, which um, you know, a lot of our anglers have converted to that. You know, and, and I'm certainly not saying that nobody wants to harvest a fish out here anymore, but um, but there's an awful lot of anglers that are enjoying that, you know, the very high catch rates that we have on this lake. Well, certainly I think the uh, the catch and release um, ethic uh, statewide, even on lakes with, with less restrictions, has kind of taken hold. And you, you see less and less people just getting every, you know, every fish they can get under the limit, um, which is good. And, and, and that's important long term. It's important for all species. So let's let's maybe talk about some of those other species. We, we, we touched on it a little bit. The bass population, smallmouth in particular, is is amazing there, um, and that seems to be something that is a long-term growth possibility for Mille Lacs. Yeah, um, I think it is. You know, I mean, um, you know, we talked about catcher and lease with the walleye um, people starting to take off. Catcher and lease has been a big thing with the with the bass people for quite a long time now. So within our within our management plan, what we've got as a goal for our smallmouth bass population is to maintain a trophy opportunity. And to that end, what we've got is, um, you know, different than the statewide reg. What we do is we have a 17-inch maximum size restriction, and um, we can we only allow the harvest of three bass, you know, versus what is it, five or six, I think, for the rest of the state. So, you know, that that goal there is just to maintain, you know, a good, healthy bass population with a number of large individuals in it. What can we expect when we get out there? What kind of sizes are we going to see? What kind of sizes, boy, the. Um, you know, I've seen bass that were just touching 22 inches. You know, I'm a, I'm a length guy, so I don't know exactly what that would convert to weight, but that's a really nice fish. And um, I think, you know, but that's going to be a very rare one. You know, I think anglers have a realistic chance of tying into a smallmouth that's, say, 19 to 20 inches long. And there's uh, also the muskies. Let's talk a little bit about muskies. Um, it's a well-known muskie fishery. Do you still have plenty in there? Oh, the muskie anglers have told me that, uh, you know, densities are certainly lower than they have been um, in the past. The the trade-off, and I, I think the big draw that muskie anglers have um, when they come here is that they do have the opportunity to catch the fish of a lifetime. Um, last year, you know, there was something circulating around on the Internet. I think the muskie was, what was it, 60 inches long or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, it was, it was a huge fish. Um, and uh, that was sampled by um, by one of the band biologists, and that, that fish was released unharmed, and so it's still swimming around out there, and I think that's that's a huge attraction for muskie anglers. <laughs> Absolutely. And, of course, you got panfish and, and all the typical stuff we would find in a Minnesota, in a Minnesota lake. 
yeah, you know, the southern part of the lake is, um, I'm, I'm not going to say it's fairly well-known, you know, for panfish. It's probably more of a local fishery, but we do have some nice bluegills and crappies out there. Um, how big is Malax Lake? Oh, I'm hoping <laughs> you wouldn't ask me that. <laughs> it's like 132,000 acres. Wow. that's. I mean, it's a big lake, and, and it's uh, not the biggest in the state, but it's certainly one of the biggest in the state. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the, um, I think it's the second biggest lake that's entirely within the uh, state boundaries, sure. Wow. Um, and again, uh, it's, it's been one of the more popular lakes and, and, you know, typically when I interview somebody about, you know, a small lake, um, I irritate the five people that, that know about that lake and that's their favorite lake. <laughs> when we talk about a lake like yeah. Mille Lacs, there's so many people who are affected. There's, uh, people who have cabins, there's resort owners, um, there's the, uh, the Mille Lacs band, as you mentioned, uh, the, the, you know, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who fish that lake there's a lot of stakeholders uh when we're talking about malax lake there are you know there's um i mean and, and like i said earlier you know we're so close to the cities that uh, i mean this is a destination lake for a lot of city anglers and uh you know i mean i can just kind of relate an anecdote you know last um last spring you know because of some covid restrictions we couldn't um, hire some of the krill survey clerks that we've got working on the lake and so I was doing a lot of the, the creel survey as well as some of the other full-time staff here. And um, I remember one day I went out, and I think I had like 30 or 35 interviews. And of those, I think there was only like two or three guys from Minnesota. And um, the rest were um, from out of state, you know, a lot of southern states, you know, and they were up here specifically targeting bass. And, um, I mean, that just kind of gives you an idea of how popular this bass fishery has become and the notoriety that, uh, that Mille Lacs does as a, as a uh, bass fishing lake. So it's not just important to Minnesotans. It's important to, you know, basically nationally. If you had to give it a, a grade, A through F, what grade would you give Mille Lacs right now? Well, it, it depends on your goals. <laughs> you know, the, uh, as far as the bass fishery goes, I would definitely say it's an A. If you're into high catch rates of, of walleye that are a decent size, you know, I would give it an A. If your goal is to um, harvest a walleye on Mille Lacs, you know, it's probably a C. We talked about the, the clarity of the water. We talked about zebra mussels. Any other concerns on, uh, on Mille Lacs these days? Other concerns on Mille Lacs? Well, we've got um, spiny water fleas, you know, that kind of impacts the food chain as well. You know, mostly... Well, you know, I guess one that, that, that I would highlight is, is from the winter fishery, and and that's kind of common now with uh, with a lot of our big lakes. It's just they're, just the way people are fishing now, you know, um, I think ends up we end up with a lot of trash on the lake, on the ice, you know, and I don't think people are necessarily doing it on purpose, but, you know, they're staying out on the lake for a couple of days, and they might be, you know, storing garbage outside their fish house, and you get a winter storm blowing in, and all of a sudden you can't find half the stuff because it's buried under the ice. And so that's kind of disappointing, you know, and that's, uh, that's something I've seen here, and it's seen, I've also seen that on some other lakes that I've worked on as well. You know, as soon as that snow goes away in the spring, you know, you start, you know, and then as the ice goes away, you do start seeing a lot of trash, you know, washing up on the shore. And that's kind of an unfortunate outcome of, you know, having a popular fishery. Based on what you've seen this winter, based on how the weather is shaping up uh, for the spring, uh, what's your anticipation for opening weekend and the early part of the season on Mille Lacs? The way I anticipate the uh, the early part of the season going is, um, I think we're 
we're going to have some some decent catch rates. My gut feeling is that it's not going to be the lights out catch rates that we've had the, the past two springs, but I think they're still going to be very good catch rates. Uh, the bulk of the fish are probably the bulk of the walleye, I should say, are probably going to be in that oh, I'd say 16 to 19 inch size range, which are pretty nice walleyes. Tom Heinrich is the fisheries area supervisor uh, for Lake Mille Lacs and uh, gives us the in-depth scoop on the lake for the uh, upcoming year and just a great overview. Really enjoyed talking to him. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Again, coming up later this week, we've got some great guests. Bro Brosdahl and Toby Kavalivag will help us get ready for the opener. We're going to take a close look at Gull Lake tomorrow and our Lake of the Week as well. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't ever miss an episode and get some bonus content too. All you have to do is go to Podcast One, the Pod MN app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Fishing for my country!